Ice Theaters, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the Ice Theaters experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. Ice Theaters. Visit our website, icetheaters.com. To Laura's point about the, you know, cinema is back. Cinema, to be honest, never went away. But it was almost a point of reassurance, clearly, the success we were seeing before the pandemic. We can build on the foundation we were seeing in 2018 and 19 and get back to where we were and beyond, I think. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America covering the world of theatrical exhibition. This is our second of three special Cine Europe episodes brought to you by our partners at Ice Theaters and Apex Order Pickup Solutions. We are going to be going over the entirety of the European market while we're here in Barcelona covering the biggest convention of the European cinema industry. And we've got other news and updates uh, coming to you in the coming minutes. And in our feature interview, we've got the heads of Unique, the cinema trade body representing movie theaters in Europe. We've got Laura Ulgat and Phil Clapp talking to us about everything in European movie theaters. And in our vendor interview segment, we've got our partners over at Apex Order Pickup Solutions going over some of the latest innovations to hit concession stands around the world. But let's get started here. Rebecca, I'm so happy to catch up with you. I mean, I'm excited to pick your brain uh, about everything that's been going on in Barcelona. But we do have box office to go over. The big story here is Disney Pixar's Lightyear opening to 50.5 million in second place. Uh, a yeah. surprising result here at the domestic box office. I believe our chief analyst, Sean Robbins, was predicting somewhere maybe in the 75 million range. Definitely not the uh, first weekend result that Disney was expecting. They were not able to uh, kind of wrest the number one spot away from Jurassic World Dominion, which earned 59 million in its second weekend. You know, in terms of what went wrong here with Lightyear, I think just from my perspective with the marketing, it was never really clear what it was, what the hook was. Is this a comedy movie? Is this an adventure movie? I, I almost wonder if it would have had different potential had it just not even been a Toy Story movie. If they just done, you know, a big space adventure and not tried to latch it on to something. I feel like it just muddled things. I think that alongside the fact that consumers that aren't plugged into the industry have been used to watching Pixar movies at home. We're now surprised they had to go out to the movies buy a bunch of tickets to see this outside of their house. There might have been some disconnect there, but uh, as you say, Rebecca, a surprising number two finish here from Disney Pixar's Lightyear, the number one spot being for the second weekend of Jurassic World Dominion, dropping only 59% in its second frame. Jurassic World in itself, I think, opened under what we would have liked it to open, but I don't think I'd call that a disappointment. Mm -hmm. Right now, Jurassic World Dominion is up to 250 million domestic. 
I think a lot of the headlines of last weekend, Rebecca, were probably dominated by Lightyear's performance. We do have to look, however, at the entire weekend. I would be less worried about Lightyear's opening weekend and instead look at the release context of Lightyear in the market. This was the first time in a long, long time, Rebecca, that we had three blockbusters perform mm. very well at the top of the box office domestically. So number one, we had Jurassic World Dominion, 59 million, Lightyear at number two with 50.5, and at number three in week four of its run, Top Gun Maverick with a $44 million gross domestically. This movie is now up to 466 million domestic. A great top three and a competitive scenario here at the box office. So the market will actually be fed with more wide releases coming up next weekend. This upcoming weekend, we do have two films that do not fit into that big action adventure niche, those being The Black Phone, a, a Bloomhouse horror film starring Ethan Hawke, really looking forward to that one from Universal, and the big, splashy biopic musical Elvis, uh, directed by Baz Luhrmann from Warner Brothers. Daniel, I know uh, from the kind of advanced footage that you saw at CinemaCon and from what Baz Luhrmann was saying about how he approached the film, I, I know that's one you're looking forward to, or at least interested by. Of of course, it's a splashy musical and I'm interested in all of those and I'll see all of them. So, Yeah, we're getting into that point, Rebecca, where moviegoers have options of big studio titles at the movies. And that's great to see. We're going to be looking at that market share being less dominated by one new release every weekend. But those two new releases you mentioned, Rebecca, The Black Phone and Elvis, are actually two movies that screened here at Cine Europe this week. It's been a packed week and we're going to get started on our coverage of everything that's been going on because there's been a lot of data points here on everything that's been going down, a lot of the developments in the European market. I don't know where to start, Rebecca. I'm just going to pepper you with questions and put you on the spot here. One of the overarching trends uh, that we've seen over these past two years is different markets recovering at, at different paces. Of the 38 uh, European markets that Unique represents, what's recovered the most strongly up to this point and, and what, maybe, uh, what markets maybe have more work to do? I know, for example, Italy and Turkey, we're seeing a much slower recovery than some of the other markets like the UK and France. Yeah, I think that's a nuanced question. And, and I know that Laura and Phil in our main interview segment later in this episode are going to go into detail on why there are markets in Europe that are recovering on a slower pace than others. The spoiler alert here is that you've got domestic film industries that are very influential in given markets and there are production delays that are different in one country to another. And I think that's obviously hitting markets like Italy, like Turkey. But to give our listeners a context on where cinema going was before the pandemic here in Europe right before 2020 slapped us in the face, we were actually doing really well as an industry in Europe. In the years between 2000 and 2019, Europe had actually seen a 34% growth in cinema admissions during that time. I think that's a reflection of new technology, of uh, the optimization of uh, digital cinema and of release strategies overseas. We saw a great revitalization of the European movie-going audience. And then, unfortunately... And then, of course, the pandemic happened. What's the macro level, um, like, percentage growth uh, of 2021 compared to the year that we do not speak of, 2020? <laughs> well, I think you nailed it. 2020 is the year we want to forget. It was a crisis year. 
terrible, terrible numbers. 2021, the, the year that we have full data from here on the European market, was a recovery year. So we have to look at that recovery based on getting back on the right track. And we saw that. Uh, I think we saw admissions increase in Europe by around 36% in 2021 compared to 2020 and box office actually recovered by around 41 percent against the previous year so not to 2019 levels yet but we are getting there and why is that why are we in a situation where the recovery in europe seems to be lagging behind other places in the world well i think there's a couple of reasons for that one is the availability of titles coming in from hollywood uh, and the other, which is more important, is every country had different COVID restrictions and cinema closures for most of the first half of 2021 were very difficult in the European markets. If we look at the average number of days that movie theaters were closed in Europe in 2021, that number, Rebecca, is 120. That is four months of average Jeez. closures across European Union cinemas in 2021. It's a story of two halves of the year, like you say, Rebecca. I think we have to look at how some markets performed in the first half versus how they performed in the second half. And we do have a different narrative once we split the year up in mm -hmm. two. I'll give you an example. In France, the first half of the year in 2021 was 53% behind in box office than it was from 2019. That's a long way away from normal. But once you get to that reopening part in the second half of the year, once the vaccine is widespread and cases are going down, it was only 22% behind 2019. So a very different set of recoveries once we split up those two halves of the year. Germany, a similar story. The first half of the year in Germany, 63% behind 2019, but only 35% behind by the time you get to the second half of 2021. Not where we need to be, but a distinct improvement over the first half of the year. And a big part of that, as you mentioned, is looking at markets that have a robust domestic film industry being able to contribute titles to that release schedule to fill in the gaps from Hollywood. So in those markets that rely on the domestic film industry, we've seen great numbers. Uh, I just have to look at places like France, that has a 40% market share for domestic films in that box office. So it's a different sort of scale. They were able to put domestic films out there. There were markets, like you mentioned earlier, Rebecca, that weren't able to put in as many movies out there. And those are the ones that are furthest behind. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say about um, really the, the tale of two different halves of a year, because I kind of feel like that can echo what's going on in 2022. I mean, all throughout the first quarter, first four or five months of the year, we were hearing, okay, maybe the box office globally isn't where we need it to be. But like, you know, we're going to see those big titles coming in and we're going to to see those numbers ramp up as we get into the summer season. I know it's, you know, difficult to predict with all the crazy factors that are that are going on here. We're, we're definitely not back to a normal state of being in the exhibition industry. But was there any indication or any insights as to what is expected of 2022 in terms of global box office? Our colleagues at Gower Street Analytics are forecasting a 31.5 billion global total in 2022. For reference, 2019, that global gross was 42.3 billion. That's a record year at the global box office. So we're not back to those record heights 
but 31.5 for Gower Street is expecting the global industry to recover to at the end of this year. That's well ahead of the 21.3 billion we made globally last year. I don't even want to think about what it was in 2020. <laughs> 2020 was 11.8 <laughs> billion, aye, unfortunately. Aye, aye. So we're improving. We're getting in that road of recovery. We're still not quite there yet. I think 2022 is a step in the right direction. And that was a big part of the conversations this week here in Barcelona for Cine Europe, Rebecca. A lot of different topics talking about where everything's going to be. Our colleague Lucy Jones over at Comscore in her presentation on Monday, uh, citing some numbers from Gower Street Analytics. She believes that some of the top European markets like the UK, like Spain, like France, like Germany, they might end up between 20 and 33% behind 2019 levels by the end of the year. So a definite improvement, but definitely not back to the record-setting numbers we hit in 2019. And I have to ask you as well, uh, what conversation was there around the impact of streaming? Because that's another thing that's kind of, obviously we've seen a lot of upheaval, things are starting to settle down, but I imagine it was still a major topic of conversation in Cine Europe. It was a big, big topic here in the sense of film availability. So we all know how difficult Q1 was for us in the domestic market. Overseas, where you have awards contenders perform a little bit better in terms of market share than they do in the US, they were really hit by the fact that a lot of those award contenders in this Oscar cycle were movies made by streaming companies. That means they didn't get the hit cinemas and perform as well as in previous years. So if we look at the UK and we just look at the drama genre at the box office, earnings of drama films in the UK have dropped by half in Oof. 2022. I imagine that drop of half, that, that's pretty That's pretty intense. Was it just a matter of there not being enough films that came out? I mean, nothing underperformed like crazy compared to expectations. I think if we look at one data point from that Comscore presentation on the first day, it's that that 50% drop in drama box office in the UK in 2022 is probably attributable to the fact that there's been a third less drama titles hitting screens in 2022 oh, in the yeah. UK. It's about it. film availability. You need the movies to be out there for people to actually go to the movies. And that was a big part of the conversation this week. How do you get the audience back? How do you recover that habitual moviegoer? And there are conversations that we talked about at CinemaCon 2022 that we're now seeing the European version of those talks happening in Barcelona this week. Streaming being a, a, a big topic, as you mentioned, and if we're going kind of based on the bigger macro issues that we've been talking about that, that were discussed at CinemaCon, I gotta imagine premiumization, premium concepts was a big topic as well. PLF, man. Uh, mm. I, it feels like we never, <laughs> we can't stop talking about <laughs> We're the, the PLF growth podcast. of premium auditoriums. Yeah, it, it's really been down to that. I think if this podcast was around 10 years ago, it would have been the recliner seating podcast. <laughs> if it was 20 years ago, it would have been the digital projection podcast. And today it's the premium auditorium podcast because a lot of the conversations that we're hearing from exhibitors is this focus on finding a way to bringing premium experiences to the cinema. Now, it's important we distinguish what premium means in today's world. Yeah, because it's not just an IMAX big screen. I mean, it, it, we're talking about a premium right. experience, a premium concept, and that can be any number of things. There's something that Eddie Duquesne, the CEO of Kinepolis, the, the Belgian multinational circuit, said here uh, at one of the panels that I think is quite accurate. 
there is more demand for more experience. Moviegoers today, when they're going out to the cinema, they're looking for an experience to basically fulfill everything that they missed after being stuck inside for two years of the pandemic. That can be a premium auditorium with great technology, with a higher ticket price, or as Jane Hastings from Event Cinema Group that has a number of cinemas in both Australia and New Zealand, she brought up something very interesting. Premium experiences can just be a special off-peak screening on a Tuesday that can be, let's say, a fan night or a costume night at the movies. As long as you're advertising the movie-going experience, whether it's from a fan angle or a premium technology angle, that is what is hitting the most with consumers today coming out of the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's just from a personal perspective, it's, it's definitely hitting with me. I, I think of the movies that I've seen in theaters over the last few months, most of those screenings, uh, there are actually two cinemas in Brooklyn that do surprise martial arts movies. You, you go and you don't know what it's going to be until you get there. I've been going to a lot of those and that is an event because it's it's a surprise and it's it's marketed as a, you have to be here or you won't even know what the movie was. So it's not necessarily just about, oh, we have motion seats or, oh, we have a gigantic screen. Rebecca, you nailed it. And I think that's what I'm hearing the most here in Barcelona from European exhibitors. People aren't willing to spend a lot of money to watch a movie. They can get a lot of that at home at a much lower price point, but people are willing to pay more for a unique experience. And movie theaters are perfectly positioned to offer that to consumers. And that's what we're seeing. And that can happen, as we mentioned, from those surprise screenings that you're enjoying at our Brooklyn uh, theaters or through these big PLF auditoriums at major circuits. It's happening all over the world. Now, there is a twist to this conversation. And this is something that I'm beginning to hear a lot here at Cine Europe. I suspect it's going to be a big topic once we hit the regional conventions in the United States in the second half of the year. Inflation, wage stagnation, things are more expensive now. If you're going to charge more for a movie ticket, you better make sure that experience is worth it because that consumer power, it's waning and you're not going to get away with charging more for a subpar experience. So, Daniel, those are the uh, discussions that took place, kind of the nuts and bolts around uh, the exhibition side of the conversation. And uh, we'll be hearing more from you on next week's episode about what happens in the, the last uh, day or two of the show. What did you see on the studio side? What can you tell us? Yeah, it was an interesting set of presentations here at Cine Europe. Now, we do have to say we do sign very strict NDAs at Cine Europe, so we can't share insights from the studio presentations. The spoiler here, to be honest, it's not very different from what we saw at CinemaCon. So anyone that is interested on what's coming up, just go back to our CinemaCon episodes on the Box Office Podcast to find out on what's going to be hitting theaters at the end of the year. But I can't talk about the movies that played here at Cine Europe, the screenings that they had. And it was an interesting selection of films, Rebecca. None of the movies that played at Cine Europe 2022 were big tentpole big superhero movies, big IP franchises. There was none of that. I think the entire industry around the world and especially in Europe realizes the importance of original films and diversity in content. And that was reflected by the movies that played at the event. We had The Black Phone from Universal, a Bloomhouse horror movie. We had Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, a Focus Features uh, Universal title, comedy for older audiences. That's actually a movie that you saw recently, Rebecca, right? In an advanced screening. 
Uh, yeah, I really, really loved it. I mean, it, it's one of those movies that quote unquote is supposed to appeal to, I, I guess, an older female audience, but it's just, it felt like slipping into a warm bath. It's just a, a lovely film. Uh, <laughs> it does come out in limited release uh, here in the US on July 1st. So I'm, I'm ex- I might even see it again. Like it was just really, it made me feel good. And those are the movies that I think the industry needs. And those are the movies that are playing at these conventions. Uh, Cine Europe, we also had a screening of the Palme d'Or winning title, Triangle of Sadness, from director Ruben Ostlund, who was here in person to introduce his film on Monday night. And of course, we also had a screening of the Warner Brothers title, Elvis. These are all original movies looking to fill in those programming gaps that we've had since audiences came back for tentpole-based films once the reopening happened after the pandemic closures lifted. So we're seeing an evolution here. And I think that evolution, I think that focus of the industry is very self-aware in recognizing the problems of the 2021 box office. Mm-hmm. It's great to have big tent poles. That's great. But we have to ensure that the movie going experience isn't something that's exclusively designed for big franchises and superheroes. The movie going experience can be just as great for films from different genres for different audiences. And that's been one of the main takeaways I've seen from studios at this event. Diversity of content and diversity in the types of experiences that are available to consumers. Absolutely. That actually segues us perfectly for this week's vendor interview here at Cine Europe. I'll be speaking to one of the representatives of Apex Order Pickup Solutions, talking about innovations over at the concession stand. That's going to be followed by my interview with Unique's Laura Ulgat and Phil Clapp. Your customers love going to the movies, but they hate waiting in lines. With Order HQ smart food lockers from Apex Order Pickup Solutions, they can skip the concessions line and get order pickup in less than 10 seconds. They just order from your mobile app or at the concession counter, get a notification on their phone when their order's ready. Then they can scan their code, their door pops open, and they pick up in less than 10 seconds. Find out how you can make concessions part of the fun by visiting apexorderpickup.com. And we're back here on the Box Office Podcast with one of our sponsors for this week's episode, Apex Order Pickup Solutions. We've got here Merrick Edwards from Apex. Merrick, a really interesting product. I know that I spoke with your team over at CinemaCon. I got to see this technology in person. I really hope uh, our colleagues at Cine Europe were able to experience it here. But for our listeners back home, how would you describe Apex? Yeah, hi, Daniel. Apex has a rich and long-standing experience in the locker world, so in many markets globally. And this vast experience has been applied to the food segment, which brings a whole new approach and understanding that benefits the food pickup market. Apex optimised the pickup process uh, so that food is only in the locker for a few minutes. And we utilise a suite of integrations and gather data to help uh, food providers reduce that time. So ultimately, you're reducing the time that improves the food quality and the freshness. And as a result, you have a a happier customer who are more likely to buy again, which in a a competitive market is very important. And we have to distinguish, right, when we talk about food lockers, the difference between a regular locker and a smart food locker. Walk us through how this technology works and what makes a smart food locker different than anything else. 
Yeah, everything that happens at a smart food locker is tracked and recorded. So we can see when an order was delivered into a compartment, when it was picked up, set expiry times, along with many other features as well. Unlike a food locker, a smart food locker uh, can bring valuable data and insights. And lockers give information that our lockers do give information that you simply don't get otherwise. You know, how long did it take to produce that order? How long it waits in the locker? And who picked up that order? So Order HQ was designed from the ground up with food service in mind. And it was designed to integrate into the restaurant's technology stack to make things simple and intuitive, both for the restaurant uh, and the customer. So smart lockers take a, a multiple of steps and potential mistakes out of that path and ensure that things always run smoothly. So we've got efficient food delivery and a timely pickup going on. We've got accurate order collections. So this reduces any remakes that have to happen. And most importantly, customer satisfaction. It's a very positive, easy and fun experience for the customer as well. Now, I have to tell you, this happens to me all the time when I go to the movies. I hate to admit it. I walk in. I can't wait to get my concessions, but I've got the showtime starting in three minutes. I look at the line and I make a purchase decision based on the length of that line and my showtime. Technology like this helps avoid those issues. And I wanted to, to drive into that because this technology can work in a range of industries. Apex has that experience in different sectors. Why do you think it's such a good fit for cinemas? Yeah, good question. I mean, labor is a big challenge in many industries at the moment, as people are probably aware, and uh, cinemas are no different. So utilizing your staff in the most efficient way is really important and getting the most out of them. And order pickup, is a, a, as we provide it, is a much simpler process. One of our customers' uh, labor went from four down to one employees delivering food and beverage just by using our solution and have saved uh, money by redeploying their food runners where they're providing food. Also, you mentioned about your queuing as well. You know, during peak times, queue busting uh, is uh, something we can help with by use of the lockers and giving a great service in a, in a timely way, not having to join those queues. And I have to say that uh, we, we've seen some evidence that by not standing in the queue and ordering there, you're more likely to spend a bit more uh, on the app, ordering on the app. So, and of course, the great thing is that customers using a technology they're familiar with, their mobile phone. So it makes for a much better user experience. What do you think has made Food Locker so popular in recent years? Because I've seen this technology, it's been popping up. I can say there's, there's two major circuits in the United States already using your technology. Yeah, so I think you know, in recent years, um, I mean, uh, pre-COVID and uh, hopefully uh, post-COVID as we are now, the trend of online ordering and payments uh, has increased and, and accelerated, to be fair. The contactless pickup it was required more or people wanted that. And our solution enables uh, that to happen. And it, to be honest, it, it's, it's also the ease of use. I mean, we've had comments uh, in some of our verticals about, you know, why wasn't this solution available earlier? Because um, it, it felt so intuitive, so easy. And I have to say, in my experience, I've not met anybody yet that enjoys queuing. So especially if you're at a cinema scenario with your family, you're there to watch a film. You want to enjoy yourself and joining queues is not, not the fun bit. So we can help um, alleviate that problem. We're at stand 205-205. So uh, we'll have one of the um, food lockers there. So please feel free to come by and we'll give you a live demonstration and, uh, and you can participate in the, in the magic. Thank you so much. That is Merrick Edwards from Apex Order Pickup Solutions. You can find more information over at apexorderpickup.com. 
And thanks again to our partners over at Apex Order Pickup Solutions. Now, moving on to the feature part of this week's episode, here is my interview with Unique's Laura Ulgat and Phil Clapp. Take it away. And we're here with Phil Clapp and Laura Ulgat from Unique, uh, the exhibition trade body representing cinemas over in Europe. They are hosting Cine Europe uh, this week. It's been an exciting week, action-packed week here with studio presentations, with panel conversations. We're going to be going over everything about the European market. Guys, thank you so much for joining us once again. No problem. Hi, guys. Hello. Well, Laura, Phil, it's always great to catch up. And unfortunately, the last two years of our conversations have been dominated talking about a crisis, waiting for a recovery, waiting to turn a corner. Uh, fortunately, uh, the big message I'm getting from Cine Europe this year is that that corner seems to have been turned already. It looks like we're already well, well on the path to recovery. What can you tell us about the state of the market right now across Europe? I think that's my cue, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as you said, uh, we are still on the path to recovery. I think uh, it's fair to say that we are in good shape because at the time we're talking, um, Top Gun Maverick has been doing incredible figures. We also had Jurassic World Dominion has been released and doing really well. And a diversity of local titles as well, which have, which have been performing in a diversity of markets. I think all in all, we are really happy. We said it all along, but of course, and you can always talk about we are going to recover. It's always better when you have the fact and data in front of you and you think that people couldn't wait to go back to the cinema. They are no back. Um, and we have even more titles coming up after Cine Europe. And when we talk about that recovery, we also have to bring in a lot of the data points you're looking at from market to market, territory by territory. It's a different situation. We know last year, markets like Turkey, markets like Italy, were on the slower path to coming back. What's the status on those markets that are maybe a step behind other places like France, Germany, and Spain? I think it's fair to say that every territory has been on a slightly different rhythm over the last two years. And that's you know as much a result of factors outside of their control, such as kind of government restrictions and, and the messaging from government. And I think, you know, that's varied. It's undoubtedly true that there are territories, you, you mentioned a few of those there, that for whom the recovery is slower. But I think for all of them, you know, for all of the European territories and the territories that UNIT covers, the, the trajectory is clear. It's just that everyone's on a slightly different rhythm of those things and and one of the one of the specific aspects of the european market is the extent to which local film content plays a role in that recovery and local production has been hit in different ways by covid and so for those territories where local production has always been a particularly strong aspect of their slate if that's taken a particular hit then it's, it's perhaps almost understandable their recovery has been slightly slower but i i, I you know from conversations Laura and I and other members around the unit board table have frequently. There's no sense that any market or any key audience is lost, as it were. It just will take time for them to come back at different rates in different territories. For our colleagues that weren't able to attend Cine Europe this year, what have been some of the key highlights? What have been some of the key messages that you think have been really front and center as part of this year's event? Well, I think that the key messages are we are back, you know, that, uh, that cinemas are here in strength and there's this really strong confidence in the future. 
I think that's the main message. And it's not only, you know, about cinemas, it's about the whole value chain. You know, all our partners from distributions, you know, the studios are also here. We had a really, really strong and diverse program, both in terms of slates. You know, we had our US colleagues who were there, but we also had a number of European studios who also attended and presented products and films. I would mention the, you know, Palme d'Or 2022, for example. We also had a really strong program in terms of seminars when we touched upon a diversity of topics, like we always do. And what was, I think, interesting is, uh, you know, we're still talking about the recovery, but the word COVID doesn't come back as much, which is surely a very, very good sign. And I think, you know, we are looking at figures in terms of attendance that were, you know, very similar to what we had pre-COVID. And I think that's probably the strongest sign of confidence that we can get. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, we, we obviously postponed Cine Europe 2021 till October, and, and we attempted to make that very much a forward-looking event. But the reality was that it was, it was definitely kind of still held, particularly for some territories, under the kind of shadow of COVID. So it was understandable that COVID featured large in the discussions. I think, I think the difference with the 2022 event is that, is that we were able more easily to pull off that forward-looking piece you know no one would underestimate the impact of the uh, of the pandemic on our industry as so many others but you know to laura's point about the you know cinema is back cinema to be honest never went away but you know it's absolutely now with absolute confidence that we can look forward we can see the kind of the flight path back to where we were and beyond you know and it was almost a, a you know a point of reassurance clearly the success we were seeing before the pandemic but i think it's now it's not just people like myself and laura whose job it is to talk up the industry but you know people like gamma street analytics who are you know as the name would suggest perhaps more objective than us who are now talking of numbers which give you every confidence that we can build on the foundation we were seeing in 2018 and 19 and get back to where we were and beyond i think and I think part of that recovery, of course, is, and we mentioned this a little bit ago, is the role that local content plays, content coming from domestic markets for domestic audiences. That's been slower to recover in some territories than others. We mentioned some of them uh, a bit ago in, in the beginning of the podcast. One of those highlights, I think, as I look at the programming of Cine Europe 2022, is being able to catch up and hear from colleagues like Anna Marsh, the head of Studio Canal, that is involved in bringing this diverse slate, in bringing a lot of local content forward. Do you anticipate now, as we head into the latter part of 2022, that these challenges in production that domestic markets have faced, that they'll be resolved and we'll be able to see that uh, be a little bit more energized in the end of the year? I think it's fair to say that, you know, COVID and especially this, those periods of uh, what I call weird reopening, first time around, second time around, etc., really showed us that if you had local content, and if you had an audience that was also used to local content, you were able to score better because you had that kind of diversity which was already there. And I think what we are saying is we need all type of films. So it's not that we only need local content. It's not that we only need outhouse cinema. We need absolutely everything. We need a blockbuster. We need the outhouse. We need European. We need very local. We need international. And it's really a combination of all of these that will guarantee the success, not just our success, but just, you know, the success of the whole industry, because it's a virtuous cycle. 
And we know when there's a, a successful film that is released at the cinema, it's also going to have um, spillover effect on the other films that are being released also at the same time, but which are in a different kind of genre. So that, that's something that we've been observing. So, I mean, we know there's been challenging from colleagues from, you know, especially when we talk about Europe, you know, from production and distribution, there's, the, there's been the challenge of insurance. How do you make sure that you can ensure your shooting? There's been the challenge of there's so many things that we need to release. But I think that as time will go by, we think that these challenges are being resolved. It's like us, it's going to take a bit of time, but I have absolutely no doubt that we're going to be back into a super dynamic uh, European film industry. I know we heard from our colleague John Fithian from NATO at CinemaCon declaring day and date is dead and piracy is what killed it. Do you think that's also the case from what we're seeing in Europe or as we've seen in France with uh, Disney taking a difficult decision in removing the release, the theatrical release of Strange World because of its streaming strategy? Are we looking at the coming months in Europe a case-by-case, market-by-market, studio-by-studio approach to theatrical exclusivity, or are we indeed back to the theatrical model is king? I think one of the things which you know we, we, we would say is that there was an understanding that during the pandemic there were some you know kind of pandemic models of release. You know, what our, our responsibility is is to reflect the impact the pandemic had on cinema operators, but we we certainly don't underestimate the impact the pandemic had on colleagues in, in, in film distribution broadly and, and the US studios in particular. So while we may not have liked it, and I think it's fair to say we didn't, you know, w- there was a, almost a kind of tacit understanding of, of the, the need or the decision by some studios to put films directly on, onto streaming. And of course, we then had that slightly kind of awkward period when some cinemas were open, some cinemas were closed, and studios were kind of taking almost a, you know, what's a kind of week by week decision on wh- which films had theatrical release on a short window or no window or, or, or didn't have a theatrical release at all. We're now emerging, I think, you know, I- I- into a new paradigm, as it were, where, where the strength of a theatrical model has reasserted itself. You know, we don't we don't get sight of, nor should we perhaps, of of the numbers of of those films that were released direct onto streaming or where there was some kind of hybrid model. But it seems clear, you know, and this is again not just us saying this, but people who are independent commentators, that the the overall revenues realised by those were were significantly less than would have been realised by a cinema first model. Uh, And that's not just about actually kind of cannibalization of eyeballs in cinemas, as it were, but it's also around piracy. You know, it's it's undoubtedly true that, you know, a film which is released direct onto a digital platform, be it simultaneously with cinema or solely onto the digital platform, is hugely pirated because you're giving the pirates and those who would seek to support the pirates uh, the kind of mother load, as it were, in terms of a pure digital copy. Just as Laura has said around the recovery, you know, the trajectory is clear, but we're not quite there yet. I think that's true also with regard to release patterns. And, you know, while I think there's an understanding that there were going to be changes in terms of theatrical exclusivity, I think certainly for all the conversations we have, and we'll talk about France, which is a slightly separate situation in the mobile, all the discussions we have with colleagues where the, where the window is agreed by, you know, kind of commercial negotiation, there's no sense from anyone we speak to that, you know, where we currently are on the window is, as it were, the settlement. 
I think there is still a determination or, or a desire, what should I say, on the part of exhibitors to see some upward movement of the window, you know, for, for two reasons. One, because we know that the, the theatrical window is, a, is one thing, but there's also almost an advertising window as well. And, and, and things tend to be advertised two, three or more weeks before a film is released in the home. And secondly, because, you know, in the UK and across all of the territories that Laura oversees in Europe, the national associations represent not just the big operators who tend to play films on release, but a large number of smaller operators who either choose not to, or more often are not allowed to play films on release. And so if you're only allowed to play a film three weeks into the release and a studio is deciding to release that film four weeks afterwards, you're, you know, I'll use my favorite phrase, you're already on a burning bridge to be perfectly honest. And we need to represent those interests and, 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 reflect the fact that you know all cinemas or the vast majority of cinemas need a fair you know kind of crack of the whip in terms of maximizing the the revenue from that window and that's notwithstanding all we know about theatrical release being the best possible shop window for for subsequent parts of the value chain but laura do you want to talk a little bit about the french situation maybe yeah i mean i think what's fair to say about what happened um in france is that the issue was not the theatrical window in itself. The issue was the subsequent windows and the deal that you had to strike with, you know, free to air television. So this is where, you know, there, there was an, an issue and about, of course, this not being able to have then the exclusivity on its product and would have had to share it with one of the main TV channels. It wasn't, although cinemas are suffering, of course, from that decision, there's no two ways about it. It was not the theatrical window in itself that was an issue, which I think is important to mention. Last year, having Tom Cruise in person attending Cine Europe at such a critical time, I think got everyone excited about Top Gun Maverick. For you guys personally, what are you really looking forward to in theaters in the coming months? Can I just say that I missed Tom Cruise last year because I was attending a marketing meeting. I haven't recovered from it yet. <laughs> He's always welcome back. Um, He's always welcome back. So, so that, that's not going to happen again. I'm not going to have that type of clash. I'm extremely mainstream, Daniel. So what I'm really, really looking forward to, and Phil knows this, is the Minions released. Because <laughs> I have Minions around me absolutely everywhere in my office and in this house. So um, I'll be there at the cinema for that. Yeah, in, indeed. I, I'm, I won't even know any more specialised than that. I mean, I, I think of the broad range of Marvel films, I think Thor Ragnarok is probably up there as one of my favourites. So Thor Love and Thunder, I think, is high on the list. Nope is also high on the list. Oh, uh, yeah. I, 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 I'm very much hoping there won't be another trailer because I think it's going to be one of those films where the, least, the less you know about it, the better, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But um, yeah, I mean, looking forward, we're almost back to that, you know, kind of familiar rhythm of looking at the, the, the forward slate and always finding something you want to see in a cinema. And I think that's a very healthy place to be. Well, Phil, Laura, thank you so much once again for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. It's great seeing you guys in person this week in Barcelona and uh, looking forward to seeing you a lot more in more conventions in the coming months. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. And thanks again to our colleagues over at Apex Order Pickup Solutions and Unique. And thank you, Rebecca, for joining us once again here on the Box Office Podcast. We've got one more Cine Europe branded episode that is coming to you next week where we'll be closing out our conversation 
on the European film industry. On behalf of everyone here at Box Office Pro, thanks again for listening. New episodes come out every Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Record Edit Podcast in collaboration with the Box Office Company and Box Office Pro. Thanks again for listening.